Back in 1992, a woman called Dr. Margaret McCollum, a GP, was on holiday in Morocco, and that's where she met Oswald Lawrence, her future husband. Lawrence was a RADA graduate and a former theatre actor. For anyone not familiar with RADA, it's known for being the toughest drama school in the country to get into, and he was working for a touring cruise company at the time. The pair got married and went on to live together in North London until he passed away in 2007, 15 years after that holiday. Oswald wasn't a famous actor, but you probably have heard his voice before if you live in London. He was hired by TfL to record the famous Mind the Gap announcement on the northbound Northern Line, but his voice had been phased out until only Embankment Station used it. After he passed away, Dr. McCollum would sit and wait for the next train at Embankment until she heard his voice through the speakers. She would often wait while two or three trains passed by until she got on one, so that she could hear his voice. Then one day, his voice wasn't there anymore. Surprised and upset, she went to the staff at the station to ask where it had gone and was told that there was a new digital system and that the old announcements had been replaced. Moved by her story, TfL initially prepared a CD for her with the announcement on, but then they made the decision to go one step further. Staff searched archives, found and restored old tapes and worked to make them compatible with the new announcement system. Together, they eventually managed to restore the original announcement at the northern line of the station so that every time Dr. McCollum passes through embankment, she can hear her husband's voice again. I'm Ellie and welcome to my first attempt at Life in Zone 1, a podcast where I talk about what's going on in London, share some really amazing small businesses, bars and cafes and that kind of thing that you might not know about, and share the backstories of some of London's people and places. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, please do stick around and listen um, and let me know what you think. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing, so basically I'd be very grateful for any feedback. And with that being said, let's get into it. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. I've had, I can't tell you how many cups of coffee in my life, and this, this is one of the best. So every week, I want to briefly introduce a business or social enterprise in London that I think you might want to check out. And if you follow me on Instagram, which sounds really cringe, I know, but it's true because I've shared it on my stories a few times there, you might have heard of the first one, and it's called Change Please. So Change Please is a social enterprise and they have several cafes and I think like coffee stands as well across London and they also have an online shop and 100% of their profits that they make from selling their coffee goes towards providing people experiencing homelessness with a living wage, housing, training and onward opportunities. I'll go over their locations in a bit but to provide a bit of context the reason I know them is because I used to live by the Elephant and Castle branch And me and my flatmate used to like their coffee so much that it became like a go-to place in the mornings. And their pastries are so, so good as well. Even my flatmate, who isn't vegetarian, used to get their veggie sausage roll pretty much every time we went. 
I've also eaten um, vegan sausage rolls. Are you? Have you eaten a vegan? I've not, sausage? but it's meant to be a monster hit for that bakery chain, isn't it? They're, they're yeah, not bad. Absolutely, they're not bad. So how it works is basically they have an academy. I think it's based in Peckham, where they equip trainees with the skills and experience. So everything from roasting through to latte art and customer service that they need to start this new career. And what I think is so amazing about the work they do in particular is that they don't just say, okay, you can have a job, great, problem solved. They also really focus on people's wider needs. So they help to improve their living circumstances, they support them with life admin, and um, help them with any therapy needs they might have and so on, to really create a more sustainable solution to what is really a huge problem in London. Between April 2020 and March 2021, over 11,000 people were seen sleeping rough in London, which was over 2,000 more than in the previous year. And more than two-thirds, so 68%, of people experiencing homelessness living in temporary accommodation are based in London. So that's no small number. It actually equates to one in every 52 people in the city. So it's a huge issue here, and while buying some coffee obviously isn't going to solve it, I think that supporting businesses like Change Please can really only be a good thing. And you've really got nothing to lose because I really do think their coffee is really good. They have a few locations across London. So there's one in Borough Market, there's one in Elephant Park, which is in Elephant and Castle. There's one in Canary Wharf, there's one in Hare East. And there's the Change Please Academy in Peckham that I mentioned, which is quite close to Peckham Rye. So if you're ever in any of those areas, or if you just want to order it online, um, I guess I can put the link in the show notes. That's what people usually say in podcasts. I don't really know how that works yet. I'm sure I'll figure it out. Um, but even if I don't, I'm sure you can also just Google change, please, and you'll be able to find them. London has some pretty weird traditions and laws. So, for example, you might have heard that it's illegal to handle a salmon suspiciously. I won't go too much into what exactly that means because I don't really know, and I'm also vegetarian, so I kind of feel like the risk of me accidentally breaking that law is quite slim. But if you're interested in looking it up, it definitely is true that there's a law that says it's illegal to handle a salmon suspiciously. Anyway, a friend of mine came over for dinner the other night and she was telling me that one of her friends, who has a background in farming, offered her a spare ticket to one of London's most bizarre traditions that's taking place this weekend. And if you're in central London this Sunday, you might notice this as well. Southwark Bridge, which is about five minutes away from the Globe Theatre, is going to be closed off for the day to allow free men of the city and their guests, I'll explain what all of that means in a minute, to herd sheep across the bridge. It's a centuries-old tradition called the London Sheep Drive, and it's organised by the Worshipful Company of Wallmen, which is a livery company in the City of London that traces its roots back to 1180. If, like me, because I had no idea what any of those words meant before I looked this up, you don't know what a livery company or the Worshipful Company of Wallmen are, what you need to know is that there are basically 110 livery companies in London, and they comprise of London's ancient and modern trade associations and guilds. So they were responsible for promoting the economic interests of their members and that kind of thing. And almost all of these are called the Worshipful Company of Something, depending on their respective craft. 
So for example, the worshipful company of all men, as you can probably guess, was concerned at that time with the winding and selling of wool. During the medieval period, there would have been a number of different guilds for everything from baking to farming, which a free man could join. So originally, the term free man referred to anyone who wasn't the property of a feudal lord, but rather by the Middle Ages was someone who had the right to trade and conduct their craft in the Square Mile or the City of London. So that's where the gherkin, sky garden and the cheese grater and skyscrapers like that are today. And free men were granted a few interesting privileges. So they were allowed to carry a sword in public. If they were found helplessly drunk on the street by authorities, they didn't have to go to a cell for the night. Instead, they were to be bundled into a taxi and sent home. And perhaps my favourite, if they were going to be hung for a crime, they could be hung with a silken rope. I don't really know how much better that would make me feel about being executed, but I guess it was something. And back then, another really important privilege that they had was the right to exemption from tolls when crossing London Bridge. This was particularly important at the time, given that until the 16th century, London Bridge was actually the only crossing of the River Thames in London. And an obvious and common way of demonstrating this right for freemen was the practice of driving livestock, so particularly sheep, over the bridge. Because the woolen industry was actually a pretty important part of the country's economy at that time. And sheep obviously had to be taken over the bridge to be taken to the market in the city. So sheep drives have been part of the rights of freemen for centuries. Of course, by the time that motorised vehicles were introduced in the 20th century, the practice kind of naturally died out. But over the years, there have been various events held to remember this tradition of the freeman's rights. And since 2013, the London Sheep Drive has been organised by the Worshipful Company of Woolmen. And it's been so successful that places have actually sold out for every year so far. So yeah, unfortunately, this year's event is sold out. So if you had the burning desire to go and see some sheep being herded over a bridge, you're kind of out of luck. Um, but you might see or hear it going on from a distance, so now you know what's going on there. London. London? London? Yes, London. You know, fish, chips, cup of tea, bad food, worse weather, merry fucking poppins, London. If you've lived in London for a while, there's a very good chance that you've either heard of or likely been to a place called Neil's Yard, which is an alley that leads into an unexpected, very colourful little leafy courtyard that's about five minutes away from Covent Garden in the West End. It's home to a number of retailers and cafes, the most famous of which are probably Neil's Yard Remedies and Neil's Yard Dairy, and all of which are painted in bright, vibrant colours. There are two alleyways that lead into Neil's Yard, they're not particularly easy to spot, but one of them is via Monmouth Street and the other is via Shorts Gardens, which is just off of Neal Street. But it hasn't always been the picturesque tourist location that it is today. It's actually undergone a total transformation since the mid-1970s. And the backstory to the area is quite interesting. So perhaps unsurprisingly, the area does in part owe its name to a man called Thomas Neal who received a piece of land in 1690 from William III and transformed it into the entire surrounding Seven Dials area. But the actual courtyard as it is today has a man called Nicholas Saunders to thank for it. Saunders was a writer and entrepreneur and he was a very eccentric figure, who from what I've read about and by him probably deserves an entire Netflix series to be made about his life, but I'll try to share a little bit of what I've read about him here. After studying engineering at Imperial College for two years, 
he dropped out of his degree and ended up constructing his own flat in West London. The flat had a glass window that allowed ducks from a pond outside to swim under it and actually enter his flat in his living room. He also slept in a self-made papier-mâché cave and there was a family of rabbits playing upstairs on his roof garden. The flat, perhaps unsurprisingly, wound up becoming a centre for hippies and people with alternative ideas and ways of living. Saunders went on to research, self-publish and distribute a series of editions of Alternative London, an encyclopedic guide to living in London for young people, particularly for young people squatting, living on low incomes, on the fringes of conventional society, um, and with alternative values and ambitions and and things like that. After travelling around the country in his live-in van, he then published a much larger Alternative England and Wales guide in the same vein. So how did Saunders move from this to being the founder of several now very famous retailers in central London? In 1976, he was looking for somewhere to live in the Covent Garden or Soho area, and he was shocked to find that he could actually buy the entire area of Tooneel's Yard for under £7,000. According to a quick Google search, that's around £30,000 today, just a tiny bit over that. So in other words, it was an absolute bargain. The only problem was that at that time, Neil's Yard was a dark, rat-infested area that didn't even appear on the London A to Z, and it was scheduled for redevelopment. That didn't put Saunders off, though, and he decided to purchase it with the aim of living there and refurbishing it to prevent it from its scheduled demolition. But he wasn't able to get the planning permission to do that. Still determined to do something with the land that he'd now bought, he managed to find a loophole and wanted to start a whole food shop there. But the planning council again bluntly refused his request to do so. But his solicitor reassured him that he actually didn't require their permission to start working on it, um, as long as the locals were okay with it. And that if they were okay with it, then he could start and he'd eventually be granted permission anyway. So he got the go-ahead from the locals and started the project. Even though it did seem like an unusual location to start a whole food shop, with all of the surrounded buildings looking derelict and having their windows boarded up or broken... He said that he wanted to start a different kind of whole food shop. He wanted one that was cheap, efficient and wouldn't make anyone feel bad because they couldn't recognise a mung bean. After long days of working on the shop, he'd return home to his flat in Wells End to often find half a dozen people who he didn't really know, or didn't know at all, milling around having all kinds of unusual conversations. And he realised that it was time for him to leave that kind of lifestyle behind him. So one day he took a mattress from his flat and declared that he wasn't going to return to the flat until he'd finished working on the shop. But that same night his phone rang and he was told that there had been such a serious fire that his home had actually burned to the ground. When he arrived his friend Ebba explained that she had been meditating in front of a candle and had accidentally knocked it over. But instead of getting angry Saunders told her that the flat represented the life that he wanted to leave behind him and that he was grateful that she'd done it and it was the best thing she could have done for him. According to Saunders, she was so shocked by his reaction that she collapsed on the pavement. After spending three months, along with other amateurs working on the shop, built cheaply using materials from demolition sites, it was ready to open. It quickly proved very popular because it was priced so cheaply that it even undercut supermarkets like Sainsbury's. Saunders believed in the idea that fulfilment doesn't come from making work easier, but rather from doing demanding work, including manual labour in the case of the shop, which gave the opportunity for variety, learning and responsibility. And that could really be seen in the way that the shop initially operated. 
At the start, the food was packed on the first floor, and when the stocks arrived, they were hoisted up on the human counterweight principle. So basically what that means is that one person would attach a load, the second would jump out of the window holding the rope coming down from the pulley, and the third would haul in the load. I'm not sure that that would pass health and safety regulations today, but according to Saunders, only one minor accident took place in 10,000 jumps, which, he said, only happened because the employee involved in the accident was attempting to show off to an admirer who was passing by. The popularity of the whole food shop led him to found a series of other shops in the yard, including the Neil's Yard Coffee House and the Neil's Yard Dairy, and eventually creating over 100 jobs without any kind of government aid. In fact, a lot of the people who worked there were once customers who just asked for a job while going about their shopping. As more businesses were being created along the whole food shop, Saunders and his colleague drafted a list of Neil's Yard trading principles that underlined his goal of creating a place with a real sense of community and which operated fairly, and it included rules like the neighbours must be given consideration and cooperation, all staff must be free to see accounts and attend meetings where they may freely express their views, and jobs should be rotated as far as possible, and in particular no one should be left with the unpopular jobs. So even though Neil's Yard now seems like a hotspot for tourists, it has a real sense of being a village community according to Saunders, and there have actually been lots of romances developed between the people working there. In his words, the most dramatic of which was when Anita of the coffee house married Randolph of the dairy, and they held a sit-down feast for everyone in the yard and symbolised their union by serving coffee ice cream. After helping to set up each of the various businesses in Neil's Yard, Saunders eventually moved his focus to spend the final years of his life researching drug culture, and while researching a book about hallucinogenic plants and ritual practices among various religious groups, as I said, he was a very interesting man to read about, um, his work took him across the US, South America and Europe until he unexpectedly passed away in a car crash while doing research in South Africa in 1998, leaving behind his son and his partner Anya. If you want to read more about his life or the story behind the yard, um, I'll add a link in some notes, as I say when I figure out how to do that, um, to a PDF called The Neil's Yard Story, which contains a lot of first-person accounts and anecdotes about um, all of the different businesses in the yard and the influence that Saunders had on each of them. And if you look above Neil's Yard Remedies next time you're passing through the area, you'll notice that there is a very small plaque that simply reads, Nicholas Saunders, 1938-1998. He put Neil's Yard on the map. So that's it for the first episode of Life in Zone 1, if anyone has made it this far. Um, that would make me really happy, so please do let me know if you listened all the way through, and let me know what you think, if you have any good ideas or stories that I could kind of share, or businesses that I could talk about. Um, I would really appreciate that. And again, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.